What's up, guys? John and Travis here with another fantastic episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. John, you know the deal. How was that? Man, I really enjoyed that one. Uh, Matt sounds like a great guy. He's pretty funny. Uh, if he was here, I'm sure we'd all be sharing beers. I'm pretty sure we would be hammered drunk by now, to tell you the truth. This was... <laughs> God, man, I, I feel I feel like we're kind of like a broken record when we have her, we have someone on. We're like... Oh man, this was such a great episode. Or oh man, this is one of my favorite. But like, there's, it's hard to say that it's not like one of my favorites. Like, just everything about this episode I thought was great. The the guy we have on is Matthew Gillette, Matt Gillette, and he is probably one of the most decorated jujitsu com- competitors I have ever talked to, or we have ever had ever had the opportunity to talk to. Um, he's won gold double gold pretty much at every single belt at a lot of competitions he said he didn't win his first bronze medal until he was a brown belt uh just competed at master worlds won master worlds and had two submissions one at seven seconds and one at 10 seconds as a black belt like Uh, this guy's insane i think he may have gave the most persuasive argument on why you should compete at yes, least a couple times. Absolutely. And that was the kind of idea behind why I wanted to get him on is because he is such a heavy competitor. I was like, man, it would be great to hear. And our next guest is the complete opposite, giving you guys a heads up. But he's such a heavy competitor. I was like, man, I really want to hear what his mentality and his philosophy behind competing and how he handles it with his students. And it is just like a wealth of freaking knowledge. So would you say you're excited now to compete? No, not at all. But (laughs) I do feel like I learned quite a bit today. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it was it was good. So, John, what was our beverage of the day? Uh, It looks like we have a uh, is that Elijah? I, I don't even know if I can pronounce this. Skull, Skull Rock Nordic Style Pale Ale. It was really good. I liked it. Yeah, this is delicious. I It'll be a, down in the description below. Like I had usual. a couple. Yeah, I had two of them, and I'm slightly intoxicated. It doesn't take much for Travis. It does not. For such a fat guy, I do get drunk pretty That's quick. True. What, That's what's, true. You didn't tell me what's on it. Like, it felt like the... it was about 7%. Let's see. Am I right? I no. Don't, I don't know. What is it? 4.9. What? That's a heavy 4.9. I've been on Whole30, so this is only my I'm gonna let, let third beer know. in a month. Elysian, that's a heavy 4.9. I think someone's doing some misinformation. Yeah. They should be on Fox News. It didn't taste like a pine tree. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so, uh, But if you guys want to follow Matt, everything's going to be down in the description below. Also, uh, if you want to get a patch, one of these nice patches, all we need from you is to send us a patch, and then we'll send you a patch. Send us a patch. We need some patches. Why do we got to say this every time? Every time, man. Someone send us please. Some patches. I'm going to let you know. If you send us a patch, I'm blowing you up on the ground. Yeah, you're going like, to be You're gonna be here. The yeah. next time we record, you'll see your patch here, I'm not like, this patch. I'm send like, us oh, patch. My, like, look what we got in the mail. <laughs> so, But yeah, Matt, everything will be down in the description below if you want to follow him. He's always blowing up uh, blue belts and point fighters. It's, it's pretty freaking funny, actually. And then also our YouTube page is doing phenomenal right now guys so thank you so much for all the support doing that our instagram is blowing up right now thank you so much for that yeah love the comments keep them coming regardless of what they are even bad honestly like the best comment we had was a negative one it was just so funny i literally laughed out loud from it i looked a little crazy as i was staring at my phone laughing but thank you guys so much for all the support good and bad you guys are fantastic so um 
Also, five star review on iTunes. Follow us, I, Elbows Tight, on YouTube, Elbows Tight Pod, everywhere else. And yeah, that's pretty much it. John, you got anything else? Nope, that's it, man. You guys have a fantastic day. Thank you so much for watching and listening, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. It's your host, Travis and John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I got a good little bit of OT in today, so that was really nice. Didn't really do anything. You know, beauty of working for the government. I mean, Ooh, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. I work hard for the government. <laughs> tax dollars going good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Matthew Gillette. Can we call you Matt? Is that okay? I don't know if, if some people Matt is great. Yes, please. Matt is good. Okay, perfect. So we have Matt Gillette. How you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great. Thank you, guys. How are you guys? At, we are fantastic, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Been looking really forward to this. I know you're a super busy man, especially with your family and competing and everything like that. So we are very gracious with your time. So thank you very much for coming on the show. So, But let's go ahead and just get straight into the interview. Uh, Matt, what is your beverage of the day? H2O, water. H2O, baby. Yeah, kind of boring, but hey, keeps me hydrated, so... <laughs> is that straight from Starbucks? Because they have like, for some reason, they have like unicorn water sometimes. They do. It's special like it's... water. It's a special water. <laughs> According to what I've heard, fish don't fuck in their water, so it's pretty really nice to drink. <laughs> and my wife got it. It's actually my wife's water. So, you know, I, I took it from her because I'm like, well, I need something in case I get parched. So that really wasn't my beverage of the day. That was just the beverage at the moment that I was able to pick up. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. But that I is like the beverage it. I'm currently drinking. So, yes. It's very smart. Very smart. Got to stay hydrated. Well, one time sure. we had water also. So, um, what was it? Coors Light? Is that's what it? it. Yeah, that was the water we had. <laughs> this probably tastes better too. Water, yeah, it's from a free state, so it probably tastes yeah, even better. Right, right. Yeah. It, I feel like you have like a glow about you because you have so much freedom around you being in Arizona. <laughs> it's tough, you know. It's a responsibility, you know. Like you know, I try not to showboat it too much, you know. <laughs> We'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, well, Matt, let's go ahead and jump into uh, who you are and how you got into jiu-jitsu and uh, a little bit of background. For sure. So, my name is Matt Gillette. Um, I'm originally from California. I grew up in Bellflower, California. Uh, came from my mom, uh, <laughs> raised by my dad and mom, and then uh, ended up getting married around 21, moved out to Arizona because um, the housing market was much cheaper, much more affordable, and it was a safer area. Uh, I grew up in like right next to Paramount and like 10 minutes from Compton, mm. so terrible area. There'd be gunfire on the streets, drug deals, all that sort of thing. So it's like, all right, we want to raise a family. Probably not the best idea to walk down, you know, a street with your little girl, little boy and, you know, get shot at for no reason. So we left there and we've been out here, uh, I didn't like almost, uh, I think, 15 years. Yeah, 15 wow. years in Arizona now. So um, that's that's kind of where I'm from, who I am. So how, how'd you get into jiu-jitsu? Did you start jiu-jitsu back in California or when you moved to Arizona? No, so I didn't do any sort of martial arts training at all uh, until I got to Arizona. Um, a buddy of mine went to the Marine Corps and they do MICMAP, which is Marine Corps Mixed Martial Arts Program, as you guys probably know. And uh, he came back from uh, School of Infantry and he's like, hey, you know, let's grapple. And at that time, I was like, I thought I was the epitome of what a tough male was, you know. I'm like, well, I can bench like 350 and like you weigh like 140 pounds, I'm going to kill you. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, and I, I, my only frame of reference for tough people was like Rambo and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm big and you're small. I'm going to fuck you up. And then, you know, after about five minutes and him tapping me out 15 times, I'm like, all right, if this guy who weighs 145 pounds can do this to me, what can somebody my own size do to me? I have to learn this. 
And so not only that, it just intrigued me, like the fact that he can do it so effortlessly. And he only had such a small amount of training at that point. And I was like, holy crap, this is something I really want to get into. And then I went and signed up and I was hooked and been doing the drug of jujitsu ever since. Do you still talk to your friend? Does he still do it? Yeah, no, he doesn't do it anymore. Uh, so uh, it's kind of funny. Like, you know, he, he ended up, uh, got sent overseas a couple different times. I uh, did a little bit of training in Korea. He had one of his, uh, I think it was one of his staff sergeants was uh, one of the Micmac instructors. So they were training together a lot when they were on tour and stuff like that, when they were in Afghanistan or when they were in Korea, things like that. So, um, but he had a baby, got home, you know, and uh, he has two kids right. now and kind of just fell out of it a little bit and uh, never really competed or anything like that. So thankful that he was able to do it because that's what really brought me to, uh, into doing it, you know, but he doesn't do it anymore. I need to actually hit him up and try to get him back in. <laughs> well, it's cool. He passed the bug on the Exactly. Either, so yeah. That's nice. Exactly. He infected me. So at least that was good. <laughs> Infected. That's a good <laughs> it's an addiction, man. Hey, uh, you know, hey, there's, there's healthy. It is. It is. Healthy addiction, but you know, jujitsu is my drug of choice. So, yeah, we, I mean, we always talk about it. Like it's you get bit by the yeah. bug, literally. You know what I mean? Like you get that that jujitsu itch from it. You know, you ha- you you live, breathe, and sleep it to jujitsu. Especially when you first start out, like you start realizing the power of yeah. jujitsu. Like you just said, your friend being 140 yeah. pounds and whooping the shit out of you, and you're like, dude, like. This this is insane, and you get so intrigued by it, and you're just like, I I I need this. Like, I have I need- to get my manhood back. That guy <laughs> took it. You're like, there's no way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's the same thing, right? It's like when when uh, I wrestled a little bit in high school, and I was in like peak physical condition when I first started jujitsu, and it meant absolutely nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like <laughs> I was like, I'm 170 170 pounds. Like, uh, I I work out like extensively. You know what I mean? I'm super strong, and like this, like a guy with one stripe on his white belt was like <laughs> whooping my tail, and I was like. I was like, I'm gonna beat your ass one day. You just right, yeah. I'll run you over with my car in the parking lot afterwards because I can't beat you up on the mat. Yeah, right. So when you when you first started with your buddy, was it in a uh, a school or did you guys just kind of like Literally do it in a garage grass or something like at that? A park. I got my ass kicked in front of some kids playing sandbox, you know. And uh, uh, so yeah, that was it. Then right after that, I'm like, all right, I got to find a place and went and signed up and uh, you know been with my instructor ever since. So. Did you guys join no, so together? He was visiting. He, he, he's from California. At that time, he was still oh, in the okay. Marine Corps. Uh, he was stationed at Pendleton. So uh, he, he was coming out to visit me, see me after he graduated from School of Infantry. And so uh, that's when we were. he was out for the weekend. And then after that, you know, he, he went back and then later on went uh, overseas. And then that's when I was like, all right, I've got to learn this and, and signed up for the place. Was it strictly gi at no, first, we or doing, were you doing we no, gi no gi Me and him. It was just no gi. Uh, oh, okay. Um, in, in the Marine Corps, in the Mi'kmaq, they used their uniforms, you know what I mean? But uh, he was also yeah. doing a little bit of gi. But at that point, I mean, he had whatever they did in basic training and then whatever they did in school of infantry and then whatever he was doing uh, on the side with his uh, staff sergeant, I believe, at the time. So, uh, you know, I mean, he was maybe less than a few months of training, you know what I mean? And, and even then, right. it's such a small amount that they actually go over in there, you know what I mean? But to the untrained person, it's night and day, you know? You don't know yeah, how to move sure. your body in adjacency to somebody else who's trying to choke you, you know? So I learned I couldn't even breathe. I was like, am, am I breathing? Like, <laughs> and you know what? And I look I back like how you were saying here. about wrestling, you know, and I was thinking to myself, like, it's one of those things that like, people are like, oh, do you wish you would have done wrestling, you know, earlier on? You know what I mean? Would that have helped, you know? And honestly, I, I couldn't get down the singlet, you know? I was like, ah, I can't wear that. 
<laughs> we I talked about this last guy, time. Like, you know how girls would stuff their bra. I'm the guy stuffing my singlet, you know? And like halfway through the match, like toilet paper's coming out. I'm like, this is bad. I can't. Yeah, right. Are those yeah, socks? I wasn't with the necessary hardware to rock a singlet. And now I see these kids and they're able, like I have a couple of my kids' students, they're doing the wrestling program and they, um, they can wear fight shorts and rash guards. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I think it was a blessing. No I think way. it was a blessing because where I started, it was like, I had a ton of like Arizona State University wrestlers. I had you know some like uh, junior Olympic alternate wrestlers. Like everybody was a tough wrestler where I was there. So my, if I would have wrestled in high school, it wouldn't have done much. And it kind of forced me to be on my back and develop a good guard because of that. You know, I didn't have anything else to fall back on, and here I am going against guys that know how to take people down. So I'm going to end up on my back, and I think that helped my natural progression of you know uh, developing my guard skills. You know. So who who is the black belt that you're under that you've been under? So since Andre Maracaba. Um, he's a black belt under Hedges Libre. So basically my uh, lineage is uh, uh, Helio Gracie. Then it's going to be Hoyler Gracie, then Hedges Libre, and then Andre Maracaba, and then myself. So he's from Brazil, um, trained extensively in Brazil with a lot of the Gracies, then came over uh, and started in Philadelphia with Hedges. Uh, it was Maxercise back in the day. Uh, a guy named Steve Maxwell, one of the first American black belts. I think he's like one of the top, or one of the first 10 American black belts, had a school in Philadelphia. And so he was teaching there and then ended up leaving and coming out um, here to Arizona. And then I was lucky enough to have him be my professor at uh, Power of MMA at the time. So uh, where I first started was called Power of MMA. We had a lot of UFC fighters like Ryan Bader, C.B. Dalloway, uh, Chris, Ma- Chris Weidman had a Power of MMA in uh, New Jersey. Uh, it was affiliate. And so like I was blessed with that because uh, not only did I have an amazing professor, but I had the ability to train with a bunch of UFC fighters, a bunch of Bellator fighters on the weekly, you know, and so I feel like that was a great advantage there. But I've been with him ever since. He's, to me, like Yoda. Uh, I, to this day, <laughs> I've never rolled with another black belt that is as good as him. Uh, he's been plagued by the injury bug, unfortunately. Like, since I've known him, he's had 12 surgeries in, like, the last 10 years or Ooh. something like that. So he's, like, never not been hurt. And, uh, but the man is like a wizard, like his life is jujitsu. His religion is jujitsu. And I get to reap a lot of the benefits of that. Like this man wakes up at like four in the morning. He has two different TVs and he's watching jujitsu, like whether it be blue belt matches, white belt matches, purple belt matches. He's looking for all these little, these little, these little small details, you know, and he breaks things down and sees it that way. And like, you know, I'm not there yet where I have the patience to watch it. I didn't even watch jujitsu at all, to be honest with you. I don't like watching jujitsu. Uh, to me, it's boring. Uh, but uh, I like doing it, you know? Uh, it's just one of those guys, and he's always getting me on about that. But the man's Yoda, so. What a great way to train, though, have all that talent around you. I mean, you have no choice. For sure, or just get your ass like, quit, you know? There's yeah. always that. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of guys <laughs> yeah. quit, you know? For sure. So how how... How did you know it was going to be a good school or did you kind of like just luck out? Like what was the deciding factor when you got there that this was going to be the school that you were going to train at? Was it the only one in the area that so yeah, like didn't really have a choice or was it just a bug that or not? I don't want to say a bug, a feeling when you walked in that you're like, this is the place well, I want time, to be. That was like a big mega gym. Like think about like a 24 hour fitness, but for MMA or for so I had jiu-jitsu, oh, okay. MMA, wrestling, boxing. Like So Robbie Lawler was the amateur MMA coach there at the time. And like, so like. I'm like, man, this wow. place is awesome, you know, and I didn't know much about jujitsu. And so like, I probably did get a little bit lucky because I didn't do a ton of research. And thankfully, I ended up at a legit place with a legit instructor and a bunch of legit teammates. But like literally, like, when I was doing amateur MMA, like Robbie Lawler was my coach and he would have like five or six people in the cage. That's it. Like it was such a small, it was like basically having a private every day. And 
even when I started with Andre on the jiu-jitsu mats, there'd be nights where there was three people. And it was like, literally, you're getting that one-on-one attention where, you know, now as a couple hundred students, it's different, you know, obviously you can't replicate yourself. But like, I feel like that was one of the big things that helped me like catapult and really like progress fast because I had that one-on-one attention of, hey, no, this grip here, you're doing the wrong thing here. You know what I mean? And not only that, he rolled with us every night, which was a nightmare at the time. And so, uh, you know, but <laughs> in looking back, I, I miss those days and I wish it, I could roll with them every day, you know? So what was the the class makeup like? Were you the only white belt or was it mostly white, white belts or mostly All colored? Or Yeah, so really? like I'm Andre's first black belt. Uh, he's been, I want to say he's been doing jujitsu for I think 30 years, something like that. And so I was his first black belt. That's one thing about him. He's not like a, one of these guys that's putting it out there just like a belt factory. You know what I mean? Like he'll tell everybody straight up and I have adopted the same philosophy with my students. Like I'll lose every student I have rather than promote you too soon or promote you to something you didn't earn. You know what I mean? So like, you're going to earn it, you know, one way or the other, there's no easy way around it. And because he has such high standards, or they might not even be high standards. When you look around and you see like some of the watering down of jujitsu, especially in America and like we've Americanized everything. Like we want quick internet or fast food, we want fast everything. You know what I mean? And jujitsu should be something that's very slow and takes a lot of time. So when you actually get a belt, it means something, you know? But you have schools that are like, hey, I need to stay open. I need to pay the lights. And if I promote this guy, maybe he'll stay. And you know, and you have people that do like shady stuff about like belt testing. And you have to pay $100 to get a belt test. Like I don't agree with that and neither does him. It's like either you're that belt or you're not. But um, you know, he, he really has such a high quality and high standard for what it should be. You know what I mean? He grew up. This is his whole life, like I said. So, so to kind of touch on that, I didn't expect to get into the belt requirements so soon but let's i mean we're already kind of on the topic so with that he he does have a high quality like and you just said you you kind of adopted the same thing so how when you look at someone are you solely looking at them as a person and their skill level or are you looking at them comparison to everyone like if you're going to promote someone to purple you're looking at all the purple belts like is this person up to their standard you know what i mean because we talk a lot about like how jujitsu is a journey for it's different yeah. for everyone so i'm just kind of wondering like how how with with high standards it's a great thing because we don't want to water Absolutely. down jujitsu but john john's not going to be the same skill level as me no offense john you know i'm 10 10 12 years yeah. younger than he is so how do you how do you take that into consideration? i think it's case by case basis Obviously, I'm not going to look at somebody and hold them to the same standards if the kid is 17 years old, 18 years old, has no job, and his, <laughs> his whole life is yeah. to train jiu-jitsu. And somebody who is 50 years old, who has a family, has to go to work the next day, can only make class a couple times a week. I'm going to still expect a lot of the same stuff, but I'm not going to grade them or gauge their progress the same way. Now, the young 18-year-old kid, to me, it's hours. Really, it's hours and it's application of skill. Uh, and to know the skill, but the hours thing is big, you know, like Malcolm Gladwell talks about like the 10,000 hours, it takes yep, 10,000 hours, hours, 10 yep. years to become an expert at any given, given craft or skill. And I truly believe that. And so let's say you have the 18 year old kid. Yes. He has youth on his side. He has athleticism on his side. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't know what being tired or sore is because he's only 18. Uh, and you have this kid and he's coming five times a week. Then you have another guy that's coming two times a week, like, he's going to reach his hours much quicker than the other guy. Then you always have these outliers, whereas a guy who picks it up really quickly, maybe he has less hours than somebody else, but it it flows easier for him. He's able to get the curriculum down. 
But to me, it still comes down to the application, okay? Do they know the knowledge? Yes. Do they know what they're supposed to know at this belt level? And can they apply it on a resisting, unwilling opponent? And that's where competition comes into play because it's really good to see, to be able to gauge it because you have almost like a similar person you're going against, right? They're in the master's division. They're competing at master's one, same age group. So I don't have to compare the 18-year-old. Now I can see how he does against the local competition, national competition, the tougher competitions and see where he's at with his belt, his age and his skill level. And then the amount of years or hours he's put in, you know what I mean? Uh, and again, hours aren't the only thing. Cause you have a guy that's 10,000 hours, but he still sucks. Like, all right, it's going <laughs> to, is he going to get a black belt someday? Absolutely. As long as he doesn't quit, he's going to get a black belt. Is he going to get it as quick as somebody else? Yeah. No, it might take him 20 years to be able to finally master it and finally learn it. And not only that, I feel like, one of the huge things that I love about jiu-jitsu is the endlessness of it. It can't be mastered. You're literally learning an art. Or I tell my students yeah. all the time, you're studying a book and studying a course and reading a book that's still being written. So you can never say I've finished. Like, yeah. You never say I'm done. That's what intrigues me most about jiu-jitsu. So, but I mean like it's unfair to gauge and be able to put two people side by side that are like, oh, man, this guy's had four knee surgeries. This kid has zero injuries at all. He doesn't know what sore is. So I still try to get, grade it with – the, the, the application of technique, the technique, and the hours and the stuff they put in. Obviously, the guy that's competing more, I'm going to have feedback from those tournaments. Like, hey, this guy's crushing it. He just won state. He just won double gold at nationals. He just won the Nogi World Championships. He's probably ready for the next belt, whatever age and belt he's at, because he's destroying everybody else. Like, we got to get him better competition. We got to move him up. So the competition's a good way to gauge because it gives you that honest feedback, you know? But then you get guys that don't ever compete, and that's okay, too. Then you're going to have to gauge them against the people in your gym that are the same age and same belt, you know? And that know you. So, I, uh, you know, the first time I competed, um, uh, you know, for a lot, I was like, man, am I getting this or am yeah. I not getting this? You know, and the people I roll with in the gym, they know me. They know what I, my yeah. tendencies are, exactly. everything. And showed up for that first tournament, and I was like, man, I'm doing way better here. Like, <laughs> like it was fast. It was quick. Yeah. You know, I didn't have time to think because they were trying to kill me as soon as the match yeah. started. And I was like, okay, I am getting yeah. this. So it's it's a good kind of validation too when you go and do a tournament. Like, you know, you know if you know it or not because you don't have time to Exactly. And I think also when you're in the gym, rising tides raise all ships. So you may not feel like you're getting better, but your teammates are getting better just like you. So it's hard to gauge like, man, I'm not to be able to tap this guy out or I can't ever sweep this guy. Well, he's getting better too. But then you have a newer guy, a newer guy <laughs> yeah. come in and you're like, oh, fuck, I can do whatever I want with him. Like, okay, if I were to fight me six months ago, I'm here now. But if I'm only gauging myself against my teammates who are also all getting better, that's what, like you said, the tournament, you're like, well, I do way better than I could. Well, of course, like you guys, you get into it all the time with people in the same gym. Like it's almost like a stalemate sometimes because you know their game. Yes, absolutely. And and they know your game. So it's kind of like, all right, we're going to shut each other down. They know you better than all you do, you know? So when you go to a tournament, this guy has no idea what I'm good at. And it's like, all right, I can really do what I want and see what I have. Yeah, I've noticed uh, I've traveled a lot for work, and um, when I go train at gyms in other states, yeah. I do a lot better. And I've realized that's exactly. because they don't know me. <laughs> I get back here, and you're right, absolutely right. It's like stalemate, stalemate, you know. For like, sure. It- so, Matt, we talk about how competition is a good way to gauge yourself against other people, and especially with someone the same size as you and whatnot. And John, John mentioned that we do travel quite a bit for work sometimes. Sometimes we are in places for for months at a time, literally like San Diego, Japan and stuff like that. I yeah. haven't competed yet, but I do like to drop in at other schools. 
Do you do you yeah. feel like there's anything wrong? I know back in the day, old school jujitsu was you don't go to another school because you don't want them to see your secrets, right? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say promote or. How do you feel about your students going to other gyms to like for a class or to drop in or they have friends doing it and they want to do it with their friends? I encourage all my guys to cross train if they want to cross train. Like I think people that do that are either very old school in their mentality and thinking or they're also scared of the product they're putting out. You know what I mean? Like me, I'm 100 percent confident in my product I'm putting out. Like if I have a blue belt that goes to any other school, they're going to hang with their blue and purples and maybe even some of their browns. Uh, because I have a good, I have a good standard, and I know what I expect from my guys. So I'm not insecure about that, you know. Uh, where some people maybe they are, they're like, hey, they go to that school, and it's like, man, my guy got his ass kicked by everybody there. He doesn't want to train with me anymore, and he quits. You're like, all right, well, I I see why, you know. Uh, but so there could be some insecurity there. Then there's also some like you know creonche type thing, you know, saying you can't go and train other places. Um, but back to your point about people feel like maybe they don't want to give up their secrets, like. If you're training consistently with like guys that are in your division, I don't think that's a good thing, especially if you like to compete a lot. Uh, because one, you, you're making it a little more like friendly so that when you guys do compete, maybe you're going to pull back a little because the guy's your buddy and maybe he doesn't pull back and you end up losing the match because something like that. And not only that, like we talked about training with people all the time, like you learn their habits, you learn their patterns and then it becomes a stalemate. So. Uh, if I am going to an open mat or a gym and I know like, Hey, this guy's in my division, we fought before I usually hold back. I go about like 50%, you know what I mean? And I save that, uh, rest for the tournament or I'm working on something new. I won't go to something like that. Like I'd rather lose there cause it doesn't matter to me and let the guy have a bigger ego. Like, Oh man, I beat, beat Matt today. But then when it goes to the tournament, it's like, Oh, he's a fucking different guy. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, uh, but for one of my students, absolutely. I think it's a great thing. I think you can learn a lot a from taking different people's classes the one thing that I would say that's dangerous, though, is, as you guys know, there's plenty of Mick Dojos in, in Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, the one thing I think is dangerous, if you're just a brand new white belt and you have no idea, you know, like, barely know how to tie your belt, and you're going to some of these gyms that are, because you're traveling, it's the only gym in town, and you go there, you could pick up some bad habits, too. Uh, so I've been to gyms before where, like, I was a purple belt, and, like, the instructor's showing something, and I'm like, fuck, all right, I'm going to drill this out of respect. But as soon as I leave here, I'm going to wipe this shit clean from my mind and never, ever do this again. Because either it was something that was wrong or it was something that wouldn't work. And But I'm at the gym. And, and right there, I'm there to try to roll. So I got to go through the class to get to the rolling point, And I'm going to be respectful. Obviously, the person invited me into their gym. They were kind enough to let me in. And it might not be that person's fault. I'm not saying they're selling snake oil, but they might not be at the level that I'm used to. So there's always that. But So I think that would be the one downfall would be going there and like picking up a bunch of bad habits again though if you're traveling and it's two days i don't think you're going to pick up any lasting bad habits in those two days and going to other gyms you meet a lot of really cool people yeah, uh and, and your circle becomes a little bigger you know like i've been to places i meet a guy and hey come train with us and we go train and it's like anytime you're in town please come back and train with us and they invite me to like secret open mats sometimes oh, that they have on a sunday and then like you make friends and then when they come in there in your city like hey come train with me now you know and so I feel like it makes you better, and, and jiu-jitsu is one of those sports where it's kind of really a welcoming place, you know, for the most part. <clears throat> so, Matt, how do you uh, balance everything, your competition, work, and family life? So, as of right now, it's gotten a little easier because I was able to finally quit my job. Uh, oh, congratulations. My full-time job and actually teach jiu-jitsu and focus on jiu-jitsu the last half of this year, or the last half of 2021. 
Uh, but before that, it was a juggling act big time. Uh, you know, I have three kids and I have a wife. I had a full-time job where I was sometimes working like 60 hours plus a week. And then I'm teaching four classes, trying to be a dad, like burning the candle at both ends. Uh, and it's tough, you know, you got to do what you can. Like, Hey, I, I can't make it to go train with my professor today and his, and my teammates because, you know, work, but I have my white belts and my blue belts that I can train with that are at my school. And you just make the most of it, you know, like fit in when you can. I want to go to the gym. All right. I got to wake up at 4 a.m. You know, like there was a time when I was a purple belt where I literally could not make a class almost the whole year just because my work schedule. And so I'd go in at 4 a.m. and I'd drill on a bag. The bag had no arms and it had no legs, but I knew where the arms and legs should have been. And I'd do comores, I'd do triangles, I'd do omoplatas, I'd pass, I'd you know sweep that bag, invert and go underneath the bag. And my professor used to come in, and actually when he gave me my black belt, he talked about it. You know, like he'd come in, start his day around 5 a.m., and I'd already be there in a sweat. You know, and been there for an hour by myself with nobody watching. You know, just putting in the work. So I feel like it's a juggling act, but I feel like just like anything else in life, like if there's a will, there's a way. Like you, you you've got to want it. You know, and I also feel like the next generation is getting a little softer when it comes to that. That's the GoFundMe generation and like, oh, pay for all my tournaments because I want to be awesome. Like, no, man, do the work. Like, yeah. do the work when nobody's watching you. Do the work not for Instagram. Do the work because you want to do the work. Like, you can find a way. There's people that have it way worse than you and they're still able to find a way and, and, and get their dreams and, and, you know, accomplish their goals. So it's definitely a judging act, but it's definitely worth it, you know? Yeah, it's. I think he's got, you know, it's good hearing that because – uh you know, we work 60 plus hours a week and we all have yeah. kids and, you know, we talk about it all the time. Um, and it's funny, but almost every place I look at for us, we have one time per class and that's 6 PM. And I'm like, man, twice a week. I'm like, man, I wish they had an earlier class, you know, especially for us, I got to be up at four or whatnot and at work. But you know, that doesn't seem to be a big thing. I don't ever really see at any school classes earlier in the afternoon. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. So Matt, you you mentioned I think it was Malcolm uh, Malcolm Gladwell. The I've read I've read his books too. I think he also mentioned that you you can only be good at two or, or you can only be an expertise at two or three things at a time. Otherwise, something else is slacking. When you mentioned the juggling act, what was the one thing where you were kind of like, okay, this has to go to the wayside so I can get the the training in, or I got to skip the training because I need the family time. You know what I mean? Like what was, how did you differentiate on which one you were going to have to just like hold off on? So I try to prioritize it in the sense of this. I always went in with this as like, Hey, it's not my kid's dream to become a world champion. It's not my kid's or my wife's dream to become, you know, a school owner. It's all these goals and aspirations are mine. So I can't put their, them above that. Like they got to come before that and I got to do the rest on the side. Mm. You know what I mean? Now, again, you're stretching yourself so thin. You only have so many hours in the day, but you got to make do. But I, I, I at least try to prioritize at that time like that. It was like, hey, I can't be selfish in the sense that like they don't, they should not suffer because of my goals. You know what I mean? So like, and it's tough. Like there'd be times where I'd fall asleep on the couch, you know, or I'd read my kid's story and fall asleep in bed with them. And I wake up and then, you know, and then my wife's upset. Like, why did you come to bed last night? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't sleep. I'm tired from training and tired from working. So, uh, but I agree with, you know, the Malcolm Gladwell thing. It's like, you, you don't have enough time to be an expert at everything. And in doing so, you're taking energy away from something else, you know? And it's the same, like even teaching, teaching is taking energy away that you have to work on yourself and you're feeling that energy and pushing it into your students. So you're sacrificing some of your own to give to them, 
that energy could be spent on you working on yourself and training, and now you're having to expend some of that energy onto them to make them, you know, good jiu-jitsu fighters and, and teach them Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. Yeah, I saw this video on Instagram the other day that I don't remember who reposted it, but it was it was a uh, I forgot who it was. It was down in Brazil, and he was giving a speech to his students, and he's talking about how when you become a black belt, it's you're you are now the servant, like. You are there for other people. You are teaching other yeah. people. You are there to help other people. It's no longer about you. It's now about yeah. like who, what you can do to improve everyone else. Is that your kind of mindset when you're you're teaching too? Because I know you're a very active competitor. If, if you guys don't know, uh, what, like how many? What's your pedigree? Like you have like so many damn medals and like championships yeah. and everything like that. So how like. What, how does your mindset go when you're you're in the class? Are you a hundred percent dedicated, or do you kind of have like, okay, so I need to teach them this, but I kind of need to work on this? Like, how do you how do you balance that also? So look, my goal is is this: I want I want my students to be better than me. I think that is the really like the the work of anybody who does anything. Like, they want the person, like the apprentice, to become better than the master. You know, and so like then I know like I did my job right. Like I, obviously I set a high standard, so my students are like, "Fuck, I gotta really work hard to get this." You know, <laughs> but but honestly, that's my goal. It's like I want I want my students to get be better than I was, to do more than I was. You know, and I feel like especially like my my kids, the the youth students I have, like they have such a good advantage with that because they have time on their side. You know, like they have the next fifteen to twenty years. You know, like some of them started when they were four or five years old with me and. You know, now they're absolute killers. And I'm like, man, when these guys get to be 15 and 16-year-old blue belts, they're going to be the kids that are, like, beating up on black belts and everything else. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, I, when I'm in class, it's about them, you know. And then, like, during the adult class, it's obviously a little different because I try to roll with my students every night. If I'm hurt or sick or something like that or feeling under the weather, then I don't roll on those nights. But for the most part, I try to roll with all my students as much as possible. Um, that way they're getting the benefit of that, too, because – because it's, it's just the connection there. I see some schools where the, the professor doesn't roll or the, the coach doesn't roll with his students, you know, and I feel like they're doing their guys a disservice, you know, because that rolling is a bonding experience too, you yeah, know, like absolutely. You're having fun and it kind of glues you guys and gels you together, you know, like you're battling it out with each other. So do you have any other black belts in your school or are you the only black belt? So there's me, then there's Jake Watson. He's a, a adult black belt. He's like top 10 medium heavy black belt. Uh, in the world for IBJJF, um, then uh, Eddie and Tim and John. So five black belts now. Uh, I'm the first, and then they came after me. So then they've all been within the last few years. Okay. So, so and they, these are guys that have started with him from white to black. Okay, because that's one thing I was going to ask: is do you find it since you run your own school and class and everything? Like that, do you find it hard to find quality training of partners? Because, you know, being being the owner of the school, you have more responsibilities than the other uh, people in the school. But if you have five other black belts, then obviously you probably get some good rolling in, right? Yeah, well, that's at my professor's gym. Oh, okay. so my professor's gym, Yeah, so when I'm able to make it there, absolutely, I got some good guys to train with, you know. And not only that, he has a bunch of good colored belts, you know. I mean, he has a ton of guys that have won Pan Ams and won Worlds and Nogi Worlds, Masters Worlds, that thing. So I'm always getting to roll with those good guys. But there's times where, hey, work when I was working, like I couldn't make it there. So I'm training with my guys and a lot of people's, you know, philosophy is like the fishbowl. Like, Hey, I need to, the fish only grows as big as the bowl. And some people take the approach of, I need to get a bigger fishbowl to get better. And my approach is, well, I just modify the fishbowl I'm in to make it suit me so I can grow. 
And so there's things I will do with my students. Like I'll handicap myself. Like, all right, I'm only going to play this guard the whole time. Or, hey, man, I'm going to let the guy pass my guard. Or uh, like things like that to where or start in a bad position. You know what I mean? Or work on my C game, not even my B or my A game with those guys. It makes it hard. You know, and not only that, like sometimes I'm training like three times a day and then working out in the gym now. Like by the time I'm teaching my night class, like I'm dead already. So my white belts start to feel like blue belts because I'm tired. Or my blue belts start to feel like purple belts because I'm tired, you know? And not only that, my goal is to make them better than me. So if I'm doing my job right, they're going to give me competitive roles because I'm breaking it down. I'm not holding anything back. You know what I mean? And during those role sessions, I'm literally stopping sometimes and pointing them out. Like, hey, man, I caught you in the loop jump. Hey, pull my elbow down before I get behind your head. Don't let the collar address the collar grip. Like I'm teaching, I'm teaching them while I'm rolling how to stop what I'm doing to them. Because I know that's going to make them better. And it's also going to be beneficial for me because the better they are, the better training parts I have in my fishbowl. And I don't have to go to another fishbowl, you know? You know, that's interesting. Um, You know, we're probably uh, three and a half years or so in our, our jiu-jitsu. And one thing I've never really seen, is it more than that now? We're coming up on five years. No way. Swear to God. Is, at, least, ne- at least one of you is keeping track. I never, well, I never get to see high level. Like an old married couple. High level jiu-jitsu. It's 15 years married. <laughs> <laughs> but but honestly, think of how many times we've seen high level jujitsu. No, two, it's true. Two, I've I very rarely have in, seen any high level rolling, true. like uh, yeah. is, even as far as our instructors. Um, you know, I never get to see them like roll in a tournament, or I've never seen two black belts roll like in person yeah. with my own eyes. And um, the only time I've ever really seen that is uh, I think uh, Roy Dean's Pure Rolling, where they have a bunch of black belts that just roll against each other. And, that was amazing. Nice. I wish we could yeah. see that more in our gym or any gym. I've never really seen it. There's only one school in the area that has George Hassong. He's uh, uh, um, Alonzo Marce- uh, Marcelo Alonzo. He's his first uh, American black belt in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah. his school, I mean, he's been doing jiu-jitsu since you know, the early 90s. So he's brought up a lot of black belts underneath him, obviously. Yeah. And uh, so when we go there, hybrid gym over in Bremerton, Washington, when we go there, you know, they have like six, seven black belts in a class. And I'm like, I'm like I don't think these, like, <laughs> these kids don't understand. Like, I, I feel like a lot of them don't understand how lucky that really is. Because we have one black belt. One. And it's, he's not even, he's, no offense to our professor, he, he listens to our show. But he has, it's not his full-time thing. It's not his school. Yeah. It's our buddy Cody's school. So yeah. when his, his personal life has to come first. So he's a wrestling Absolutely. coach for a high school. So his, yeah. re- when wrestling season starts... He does. He he has to take care of that, you know. So it's it's. I get jealous of those of those schools where I'm like, I wish we had like <laughs> I three black belts that just smashed yeah. us all the freaking yeah. time. Because I feel like when we first started, Cody was a purple belt, or the gym owner, he was a purple belt, and everyone was white. So like you said, you know, you were just you just got your butt kicked by someone that was such a higher level than you. It really yeah. made you catapult up. And I feel like that happened to us until we got to our blue belt, and then. Um, and then, you know, it kind of like, plat- not plateaued, I hate that word, especially in jiu-jitsu, but it's kind of like leveled out. Everyone kind of got to the same level. Stagnation, yeah. Yeah, and so now I'm like, I'm like I, what I think are, what we need now is like that experience of just... For sure. Bring us the more black belts. <laughs> or, or, or you modify it. So when I was telling you before, like when I started with Andre, is there was only white belts, you know what I mean? Like, and then we had a couple blues after a couple years, the guys got promoted and stuff like that. And I didn't have purple belts to beat me up. I didn't have brown belts to beat me up. I didn't have black belts when my professor was hurt to beat me up. So I had to make the best out of the situation. And so what I would do is I'm like, all right, I would simulate how it would be at a tournament towards the end of the match, right? It's okay. Anybody can fight when they feel good, when they're happy, when when they're hydrated, when they're not hurt, when they're not sore, when they're not exhausted in the first match. Anybody can do that. That's easy jiu-jitsu. How does jiu-jitsu 
really pan out when you're exhausted, when you're hurt, when you're tired, when you just cut five pounds a day up and then they have to fight. And you have yeah, to drink right. Water. And so what I would do is I would go and I work out an hour and a half before the classes start. And I would do like really high intensity workouts to where I'm exhausted by the time class starts. And then when I went to put my belt on and it's time to start class, like every one of those white belts felt like a blue belt. Every one of those blue belts felt like a purple belt. And it, what it did is it actually helped me because now if you go to a competition and you're five rounds in and you're in the you know fourth or fifth match at a big tournament, you're exhausted. And if you've never fought exhausted, you don't know how to do that. But what it did is it taught me how to fight exhausted. And the thing is, when you have no strength and you have no explosive energy and you have no uh, energy left altogether because you're already zapped to begin with, it forces you to rely on the technique. And not only that, it forces you to rely on every step of the technique in order for it to work. So you learn how to do the most possible with the minimal amount of strength and energy because you have none. It forces you to do that. And you're going to get your ass kicked for a while when it happens, but you've got to be okay with that. That's part of the growth mindset, which everybody should have. So that's something you guys can do and put it in place. Like, man, I'm crushing all these guys. All right, I'm going to handicap myself. I'm going to roll with one arm tonight, and I'm going to hold my belt the whole time. That's going to make your guard better. And then what happens when, hey, I hurt my shoulder. I had that happen to me several, several times. I'm about to do that for real. Yeah, my shoulder's hurt. I can't use it. Okay, hey, we've been here before. Why? Because we handicapped ourselves. You know, and so, like, there's things like that that you can do. Though you don't got to change gyms. Yeah, and, and on the flip side, like you were saying, like, I had guys that would come into the gym and I'd be like, damn, you have 10 black belts on the map. That's so freaking cool. And they're like, no, dude, I get my ass kicked every day. It's not fun, you know? And I think you need a healthy dose of winning yeah. and losing to really grow. I agree. If you're getting your ass kicked all the time, especially when you first start, it's not going to help you. Very and disheartening. And if you're all the time when you first start, it's not going to help you either. Like, you need both to grow, you know? Matt, I got a question for you as, as someone yes, that competes a lot. Um, I like how you always – but real quick, I like how you always say that. He's, we're interviewing him. You yeah. don't have to let him know well, you have well, a question. One thing I, I think <laughs> well, that's it interesting – Well, it could have been just a comment, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 I, Matt, I got a comment. All right. I got no. to hang you on this one. But Sorry. <laughs> this is weird to me, as, and it's always been weird to me, is uh, why do we start sitting down? When we compete, yeah. we're standing. And I feel oh. like we never get any experience standing until we're competing. And it throws so, me off. I don't, I don't understand that. So I think there's a time and a place for it. Uh, I feel like statistically, you have a much higher chance of getting hurt from standing than you do from the bottom. And reason being is, A, you're up higher. So if you do fall, you post on a hand, you post on an elbow, you hit your head, you tweak your knee, you know, some stupid guy jumped guard and hit you in the knees and blew out both your knees. I feel like there's just a higher probability of you getting injured as opposed to starting on your, your knees or starting on your butt. That being said, you need to have both. You need to be able to train both. Uh, and sometimes it's about, you know, that risk of like, I've seen it happen a lot. Guys get hurt training for competitions, and a lot of times it's on the feet. You know what I mean? A guy tears his ACL, a guy went for a takedown and kind of fell wrong, the guy twisted his knee, and then bam, you know? Uh, I know you can't take all the, the risk out of it. There's always the possibility of injury. But I feel like time and a place. Hey, we're getting ready for the tournament. All right, let's start drilling from our feet, especially if you're a guy that's going to do takedowns or, you know, even if you're going to pull guard, you, you need to know how to do it from a standing opponent. But I think doing it every day does increase your risk, you know? So when, when, would, you think, when would you think it's a good time to start that? For like Travis's case, his competition's in March. We're in yeah. January. Yeah. So when would you think it's a good time to really start honing in on that stand-up game? So I would say, depending on your game plan, like for me, you have to have a game plan. I tell all my students, your game plan is the roadmap to the podium. 
if you have no game plan, you pretty much have no chance of getting to the podium, in my opinion, unless you just go ape shit and it works out for you. Uh, but you literally, you're going in there with the, like, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to see what the guy does. If he's, the, I hear this all the time too. Uh, if he looks like a wrestler, then I'm going to pull. If he doesn't look like a wrestler, I'm going to go like, okay, so you're going to like the guy's wearing a singlet when he shows up, <laughs> or just because he has cauliflower ear. That, so basically, what you're doing though is you're you have zero game plan. Your plan is going to be dependent on another human being, and therefore you're already playing into their game plan. Yeah, you're giving yourself zero probability to succeed. So I would say if you're going to compete in March, start working that stuff now, but work it with somebody you trust. Work it with somebody you trust. You're right there. You guys trust each other already. You're already at close proximity, right? So you're touching elbows almost. That's good. That's the guy you can trust. You know? I got to so. keep my elbows tight. Sorry. It's almost- <laughs> <laughs> like right, so- the airline, the little, yeah. the little, the little stand <laughs> So the, the the only someone brought up this argument about jujitsu and takedowns, and I thought it was actually very intriguing because I, I brought up wrestling earlier, and in wrestling, it it always starts from the feet, and I yeah. and maybe it's because when you're a wrestler, especially uh, when you're competing in wrestling, you're younger, right? So your body's probably a little bit more honed into not getting injured, or you recover yeah. faster, like we mentioned Absolutely. before. Which I don't even know if I should ask this question now because I kind of just answered my own question, right? <laughs> because most people that do jujitsu are older, right? So we're yeah. more injury prone and whatnot. So where do you think that we could take in from like wrestling, where they always train takedowns every day, right? Like it is two takedown and then ground control, and then bring that over into jujitsu to where we can focus a little bit more. I know in judo they have throw mats and whatnot, yeah. and they really, really focus on falling, like. It is yeah. like in, like pediment of like you have to know how to fall because it you can't get thrown thirty times in a class if you don't know how to fall. Yeah. Like where do you see that we could improve in jujitsu to get takedowns better? Uh, I mean, it all depends because you really have to split in the game. You know, like I think it's just like anything else. Like it's like all right, half the people want to do takedowns, the other people are going to pull guard. So yeah. should should every practitioner know how to do a couple takedowns? Absolutely. Should that be their goal? No. And you always hear these people that do the top game or do the takedowns like, oh, you're never going to get into Valhalla if you don't know how to do a takedown or whatever. Or like, guard pullers aren't people, whatever it may be. Like, guard pullers. All that really tells me is that you suck at passing the guard. Like, yeah. jiu-jitsu is a game. Like, all right, we have judo, we have wrestling, we have jiu-jitsu, and it's all combined in one. And you're telling me that you can't, if someone pulls on you, you didn't get to do your takedown. You suck at passing the guard if you're worried about that. If Just get better at passing the guard. Why, why does that person have to learn takedowns now so you can beat him at takedowns even though you were already better at takedowns? Like It's strategy. Like If he plays better on his back, you have a tall, lengthy guy that really likes a guard, he's going to play that. If you can't stop his game, then you suck at jiu-jitsu. It's not that he needs to learn takedowns. You know. So I think uh, half the people are going to be split in that anyways. Half are going to want to pull guard regardless, so they're not going to really – their main focus isn't going to be takedown. You know, uh, where the other half, their main focus is going to be playing takedown and playing top game. So, but to, to kind of answer what you were saying with the, the wrestling in high school, like you see a lot of those guys that wrestled in high school and college, like by the time they're done, their bodies are kind of beat up. They're messed That's up. That's true. You know? That is very because true. Because of that grind. And so I want to be able to have my students do jujitsu for the rest of their life. I think it's one of those, like me, I want to die in my key. You know, I want to be like, even if I'm on the rascal scooter, like, you know, with all my medals on it, <laughs> going to the mat. And that's another thing. I want to earn the scooter, you know? I don't want to get it because I had diabetes because I ate like a fat ass and got my foot cut off. <laughs> I want to get it because I wrecked my body doing jiu-jitsu. And I'm okay if I don't play bingo or I don't get to play golf, you know? But uh, I think I, I want to do that forever. So 
if I can save my body a little bit at a time, okay. Um, but in, in wrestling, I feel like if it's not working, you're not doing it hard enough. Push through, push through, push through. Jiu-jitsu, I feel like if it's not working, you're not working smart enough. I feel like jiu-jitsu is very cerebral in the fact of like, I want to find the easiest way to do something. It's almost lazy in a sense. But because it's lazy, you're going to become more efficient with it, you know. And so that less taxing on your body, you know. And so I guess it's a fine line and it really boils down to what that person's mission statement or what their goals are, you know, and what their game plan is. So I, I, I saw the other day that you posted something about point fighters. Do you hold point fighters and guard pullers like at the same level? Or oh, absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> are you going to ask the question? Guard so I guess pullers the question... are the pinnacle of jiu-jitsu. Right? Oh. Then, then there's those people who have no idea how to pass someone's guard. <laughs> then we have wrist lockers and point fighters. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wrist lockers? Are you serious? I love my wrist Look, lockers. Hold on, hold on. Okay, to be fair. Wrist lockers are here because they are submission fighters, so they're here. They're right, right. I was about to ask you this question. So leading up to a competition, uh, we were heavy on points. And in my brain, I was like, I don't care about points. I want the submission. I want this over as fast as possible so <laughs> I'd have energy for the next round. Yeah. But I like to ask people. So I don't know. I, th- we, I think we've agreed we'd rather just a submission. Yeah, absolutely. I, I go for the submission. That's all. Even I Even if I lose, like I'm at least I know that I was like going for it. I, I just I mean? want the submission. I don't want to worry about points. Well, I think there's a couple different ways that you have to look at it. Like for me, I always try to finish everybody, and I have a high submission rate. Uh, you know, it's something like 200, and I think 210 or something like that. Guys, that and you just had a 54 rate. second submission, right? It was the at ten Wolf? second, ten second, and then a seven seven second or something like that. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm very submission oriented, and, and the reason being is like you hear it all the time, especially if you're on the tournament scene. You hear guys leaving the tournament like, "Oh, beat me by two points," or "He beat me by an advantage." You know, like and it's kind of like a way of excusing that you didn't really lose. Uh, but if the guy submitted you, you can't really say much. Like, fuck, he's better than me. And not only that, it's more of a pure form of fighting because, yeah, you can be a great point fighter and win by an advantage because you put a guy in 50-50, but you're not going to do that on the streets. If you can finish people, then you actually have good jujitsu that can translate into fighting because what is a finish? All right, I just broke this guy's foot off with a toehold or a heel hook or I just put this dude to sleep or I comored him and dislocated his shoulder and separated his shoulder. Like in the streets, that's what's going to stop a lot of those fights right then and there. Like that is like a, a death blow almost, you know, and the point fighting, that's not the same. And I feel like, unfortunately, like the jiu-jitsu we're seeing now is a lot more point fighting oriented, you know? And so I try to tell my guys like, look, and in something like, like my professor would get on me all the time. Like when I was at black belt, he's like, Matt, you're at black belt now. Like, going to be hard to submit a lot of these guys a lot of these guys are going to play really smart and they're going to have a strategy to face you and i'm and i'm like he said you're not going to be able to submit everybody and for a little while i kind of adopted that you know and tried to play differently and i'm like this is just not me if i'm going to play this game i'm just going to get better at my submissions then and i'm going to submit as many people as possible and now it's starting to break through at black belt where i'm like i'm able to catch a lot of these guys by submission and it wasn't that it wasn't that i had to modify my game i just had to make my submissions that much sharper you know but I feel like there's no argument. You beat a guy by submission, hey, he can't see shit. You know, it's like, dude, you tapped. You know, and, and what is a tap in the streets? There's no such thing. So I feel like it translates better that way. And uh, there's a lot of guys, though, that play the rules better. They might not have better jiu-jitsu than you, but they play the rule set better than you do. And at the end of the game, at the end of the day, it's a game, you know. And if, if they're smarter than you and they played the game better than you, okay, 
But I'd rather lose a fight trying to finish the guy than win all my matches, you know, by advantage points. And you see it all the time. Guy's in 50-50 and guy sits up and gets an advantage or sits up and gets two points. And at the end of the match, he rips his shirt off to show his abs that he has from steroids. <laughs> Ster- like, steroid busted like, abs. <laughs> fucking, you, you knew you were winning by advantage for the last five minutes. So that's another thing entirely. I, I get pretty like eked uh, about guys that get up and like over celebrate you know a because you have little eyes that watch little feet that follow and little ears that hear and so you see these little kids coming up now and they're like ripping off their shirts and like ah you know and i'm like Fuck, dude this little eight-year-old's on juice or what what is wrong with this guy? Uh, and it's not that it's because they've had so many bad examples to look forward to you know like a if you're ripping off your shirt after every match what that tells me is that was a surprise for you to me winning is not a surprise it's an expectation. When I step foot on the mat, I expect to get my hand raised. So it's not a surprise. And I've done it plenty of times where it's not like, oh, gosh, I can't believe I did this. You know, To me, that just shows me that those guys are insecure about that. That or they're just pumped full of steroids and they have to get that release out, You know, one or the other. So They're like, look, I took all these steroids. I have, I have to, to show, show my abs. My abs. <laughs> yes, yes, I have to show you my abs. I thought about painting. That's another thing is I have no abs, so no one ever called me out for that. <laughs> They're like, dude, Matt has one ab. There's no way. He's not on the juice, for sure. I don't even have the one. <laughs> well, I got one. And I, I got one up on you. So, Matt, you don't you don't like when, when you see, like, on Flow Grappling, IBBJF, the guy staring at the clock for the last minute and a half, just smiling, knowing that he's not going to get submitted and he's going to win it? You don't like that? Super What's wrong exciting, with that? Right? I mean, that's the pinnacle of the sport that we're at now, you know? It's like uh, getting people up off their seats. I always tell my professor, he's like, because he gives me shit sometimes. Like, nah, you could just fucking won that. You didn't have to like kind of submit the guy. You were already winning, you know? And I'm like, no, I got to finish it. I'm like, those people paid $10 spectators to get in here to watch the show. And it's my responsibility to show them a show, you know? I like it. So. I like it. It's it's so funny that you mentioned that you don't even, you're not, you don't watch jujitsu yeah. or, you know, because I feel guilty about this, especially having a podcast about jujitsu. We are not students of the game right. like that. You know what I mean? Like, we interview some people and they talk about high level guys in jujitsu, and I'm like, I should probably research that guy after this interview. Like, <laughs> well, I'm addicted to like combat jujitsu. I watch a ton of that, yeah, because I feel like it's just a more lo- a little bit more what realistic to me and a little more exciting, like, a lot less point fighting when you're getting slapped in the face and you can't just hold. Yes, it. yes, yes, because uh, you know I had that problem early on. Getting slapped in the face? No, we, you know, in some of the classes, I was like, man, I, I don't want to do that. If I did that in the street, I'm getting like punched in the face. Yeah, you know, it was just difficult for me to accept that. And then I saw a combat jujitsu, and I was like, and that's what I'm talking about. You see that guy get slapped? Like that's it yeah, right there for sure. Yep. We interviewed uh, Nathan Orchard, and he's you know obviously Eddie Bravo black belt, huge in yep. combat jujitsu, and uh, he transferred over from MMA was very successful at MMA and came into jiu-jitsu. Uh-huh. And this was before combat jiu-jitsu. So he like skyrocketed in jiu-jitsu. And I was like, what do you think was like the biggest thing? Like that was the separating why you did so good. He's like, oh, I wasn't getting punched in the face anymore. So it was a whole lot easier. <laughs> Absolutely. And, like, Absolutely. and so now there's combat jiu-jitsu. So it's like it, you watch some of that stuff, man. Yeah. And like they're walking out like busted eyebrows, like MMA sure. fights. Like they're, they're getting palm strike to the nose. And yeah. I'm like, you guys are insane, man. I am a filthy casual. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie to you, 100% a filthy casual. I am. I, if if someone knees me in the face at, in class, I'm like, look, dude, I have to go to work tomorrow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now I have Matt I have a four- all over my face. Yeah, I have a 401k to worry about. Okay. So- <laughs> 
That's awesome. My wife's going to be pissed. Yeah. So. My credit score is way but, too high to have this. <laughs> <laughs> I awesome. think it just went down six points. Thanks, bro. Like, now I look like a hooligan. So, But you, you obviously compete quite a bit, like you mentioned beforehand. What was the, the hardest competition that you did and the biggest takeaway from that? So, for me... It'd be a series of them. Uh, I've won a lot, but Nogi Worlds was like my white whale. It was something I couldn't ever accomplish. Uh, it took me forever to win it, you know. And, uh, you know, at Purple Belt, I won double gold at Pan Ams. I won nationals. won a bunch of stuff at Purple Belt. Purple Belt was really successful for me. And uh, Nogi Worlds was one that I couldn't ever do it. I'd either get hurt, like right before, like one time I got a broken nose and a concussion. The other time I got in a car accident, like the week of. Another time I uh, had a rib out of place and uh, missed, almost missed weight. And so at Brown Belt, I'm like, all right, well, hey, this is like, you know, I'm getting up there. And this is like my, I think, fourth or fifth try trying to win, uh, not at Brown Belt, but over the course of the belt, trying to win Nogi Worlds. And this is my first first match. And a uh, guy dove on a Kimura and I ended up rolling and taking his back. And he ended up uh, getting me in a straight arm lock from the back because he still had the Kimura grip. And I couldn't clear my elbow, and my elbow got popped like eight times, you know, and it was pretty oh. But I just resolved myself. I always told myself, I always told myself, like, look, if I'm, at, if I'm in the, if I have the ability to win something like that I haven't won before that's really meant a lot to me, I'm willing to sacrifice my arm for that, whatever. And so I ended up clearing it and choking the guy out with one arm, and my elbow was like clicking and really swollen. I should have done that in the finals, but that was the first match, so I still had more matches to do that day. But after that, I went and submitted everybody else, uh, you know, and couldn't use much of my arm because it was kind of toast after that. I ended up tearing my bicep into my arm and uh, getting my elbow pretty hyperextended. And um, it clicked for about a year, like, in and out. Um, But it's all better now. But to me, that would have been, like, one of the ones that I really look at. And I'm like, all right, you know, that's a memorable one because it took so many tries to do it. Another one would be uh, Pan Ams when I won double gold at Purple Belt. I had a lot going on in my life then. Uh, I ended up suff- I had a nervous breakdown almost and ended up having like panic attacks like eight to ten every single day. And for a whole course of oh, a wow. year, for a whole, whole, whole course of a year, I suffered with like massive anxiety. Uh, and I lost my job of ten years, got laid off, and like literally like cleaning toilets at a friend's house to get money to go to Pan Ams. And then I went there and you know I won a, you know seven matches and won double gold and. Uh, submitted six of the guys and my professor gave me shit afterwards like I thought you said you were going to submit everybody what happened in the finals you know I, I beat the guy you know by two points I think and uh, but that was a memorable one too you know because it was like man like I had so much crappy shit going on in my life and I was able to kind of still do that you know so those two stand out the most for me as memorable moments both the Nogi Worlds at Brown Belt and then the Purple Belt Pan Ams double gold yeah, perseverance, I feel, is a big thing that we learn in jiu-jitsu as a byproduct. Like, it's not like there's no technique to persevering through something. There's no class dedicated yeah. to it, right? Like, yeah. you mentioned earlier, it's easy to train when you feel good, right? But yeah. where we make the most progress is when we're, we're not 100%. You know, and I'm not saying we should in, we should train through injuries or anything like that. If you're injured, you should definitely take the time off and and recover because yeah. you're just going to cause more detriment to your body than that. But the days of where you're sitting on the couch and you're tired and you're like, I don't think I should go this and that, right? Especially yeah. when you're first starting, I feel like those the, that first two years is really of your of your journey is really where you lay the foundation of who you're going to be as a practitioner, right? And then you throw it all away to get your blue belt and just quit. So it's like. <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I feel like perseverance is such a, a strong byproduct of 
of training jujitsu and especially in kids. I absolutely love seeing, like you mentioned earlier, three, four year old kids on the mat, learning confidence, learning that self-defense and whatnot. Like it teaches such value when they're so young that I feel like you don't, you don't really get anywhere else besides like martial arts. Right. And your kids are heavy in, into competing in jujitsu too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the byproducts you talk about is jujitsu for kids and adults, but uh, for kids especially, it teaches them to be un- uh, comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You're put in situations where you can't move sometimes, you can't breathe, someone's trying to choke you, someone's trying to attack you. And as a result of that, you learn a calmness and a comfortableness, and you're able- that bleeds over into every aspect of life. Hey, I got to go for a job interview. All right, well, I know I can kick the guy's ass. And be, I know that person, <laughs> you're so right. That person's not gonna- so right. I mean, yeah, B, I know the person's not going to choke me out or attack me, and I deal with that every day. Therefore, life becomes easier. Yes. Like they say, do what is hard and your life will be easy. Do what's easy and your life will be hard. If you're doing something hard every day, then every part of your life after that becomes easy because of jujitsu. Not only that, you develop those problem-solving skills. Each day you're posed with a new problem. All right, well, how do I get out of this position? I keep getting stuck in this position. And it forces your brain to think different ways and to think out of the box. One thing my professor told me about jujitsu that really struck home and it, it bleeds over into life is uh, life is like jujitsu. You're never always on top. Sometimes you're going to be swept and you're going to be on the bottom. But the good thing about jiu-jitsu is just like life, you're never on the bottom forever. You're going to get a sweep and you're going to get back on top. You know what I mean? And that's the ebb and flow of life. And, and I think at the jiu-jitsu gym, those kids learning both the win and the loss helps them like really even out their temperament and realize like, all right, well, hey, shit's not going good right now in jiu-jitsu. But then I start winning again and winning again. And that's life. Hey, man, like, oh, my wife left me or I lost my job or my kid's in the hospital. All right, we're here. But that's not always where it's going to stay. It's not always that nosedive, you know, and it's the peaks and valleys. And I think that really is a byproduct of jiu-jitsu that's really, really beneficial. So how do you how do you handle when your your kids do lose, right? Because I know, especially at a young age, they take things there very differently than a level-headed, mature adult, right? Like, ex- I, yeah. and, and to kind of like validate that, when I first started jiu-jitsu, when I would get tapped multiple times and get my butt kicked for an hour and a half, it was very discouraging, right? It was, a, it was an emotional yeah. event. Like, I'm not, it's like, you know, you would sit there and you're like, holy crap, man, like, I am just getting my butt kicked right now. Like, how do you help kids, you know, when they, when they go through that? Because it's a completely different thing than when adults do it. So I always try to like have my kids adopt, and this is both my sons and my daughter, but also my kids' students. I try to have them adopt the growth mindset. Like we're here to grow, and sometimes losses are necessary. And there's that old adage in jujitsu, like you either win or you learn. I think that's bullshit. And here's why I think it's bullshit: is yeah, okay, you win, great, but if you the L is not for a, a learn. If five tournaments in a row you've been triangle, you didn't learn anything. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If you take the lesson it gave you and you fix it, then there's learning there. Otherwise, it's a loss. Like if you lose five times the same exact way, there's no growth. There's no learning. So those losses are like, I like to have it like a big dam. I tell them, all right, it's a big dam of water. And right now there's a bunch of holes in there. Each one of those losses kind of shines the spotlight on an area that you need to improve on. And then we can go and we can patch that area and we can fix it, right? All right, well, hey. You suck at the triangle defense. All right, why did I get triangled? Let's figure that out. Let's work on our triangle defense. Let's work on not bringing one arm in, one arm out. Let's work on our posture. Let's work on the passing without having an arm in. Things like that that are going to make them better. And so if they see it as a growth thing, like, hey, this guy showed me something that I didn't know. And sometimes you lose to people that you just made a mistake or that you're better than them, but hey, it just happened. 
they had a good day. And then sometimes you lose to people that are absolutely better than you. And I think that's a beneficial loss because it's going it's, it's gonna to level that kid up. Like, see that kid who just beat you? He's at this level. We can beat him, but you're going to have to train really hard to get back up. And so I think that's sometimes a good motivator for those kids. You know, like, hey, that, I have a number on that kid's back now, a target on that kid's back. I'm coming for him, and I'm going to train hard for him, and I'm going to see him at nationals, or I'm going to see him at Pan Ams, or I'm going to see him at state. And so that loss can sometimes get a fire in their belly, you know. But it can also be the other way where it, like, really breaks a kid down, you know. And um, I tell my kids all the time, though, like, there was a point um, – it's funny because – I got my purple belt and I had up at, before purple belt, I was winning, like it was either gold or silver. I didn't even get my first bronze medal until I was a brown belt. And, uh, I, uh, was winning everything at blue belt. And then at purple belt, I lost six tournaments in a row in mm. the first match, in the first match. And I like threw my belt away. I was at Pan Am's. I lost at Pan Am's. It was one of the biggest ass kickings I ever got. It was 27 to two. And I got two on accident. Mm. The rest made a mistake. Uh, that, that guy uh. kicked my ass. Yeah, and I, yeah, I should have got the two points. But that was the big – I mean, I've been submitted before, but that was the biggest ass kicking I ever got. Like, I could do nothing there. And I remember, like, throwing my belt away, and I was, like, telling my wife, I'm going to quit. And then, like, three days later, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to go back. And what's funny is the seventh tournament, I went and I won. And then I went on a whole year streak of not losing. I won 57 matches in my division, and I submitted every single opponent. 57 matches, 57 opponents, wow. undefeated a whole year. And leading up to that next year, that's when I won double gold at Pan Ams. And the only time I lost that whole year, uh, for a whole year, like calendar year, like 12 months, was I lost three times in the open weight. But in my division, undefeated and submitted every single person. But had I quit and not had that seventh match, A, I would not be here talking to you. B, I would not be here talking to my student. And C, I would have never had the success I had. So sometimes you're, that loss, you're like super close. And each one of those losses, I'd go back and I'd try to fix what I was lacking or fix the mistakes that I made. And because of those six losses, it made me a more complete person at the seventh and then I was finally ready to be where I needed to go. So sometimes those losses aren't bad things. Sometimes they're necessary. Do they suck? Absolutely. But I think me being able to tell that story to my kids really can like show them like, oh, well, hey, Coach Matt's lost before. And look, he lost six times in a row. And on his seventh one, he won and then he won everything after that. You know what I mean? So like it gives them hope and it shows them like, hey, life doesn't always go perfect how you expect it, you know? Yeah, that's for sure. Me me and my daughter competed uh, together on the same weekend. And that's uh, awesome. For her That's stressful for you. Yeah, she she lost and uh it was funny because uh where she was at so far in jiu-jitsu, they weren't really teaching submissions at at her age. It was more like airplane getting on top, maintaining position. Yeah. Which she did for most of the match, and uh, the referee reset them. And then the girl put her in a real naked choke. And my daughter was probably seven. <laughs> so when that was over, like, she cried. You know, she was upset. But she said, I want to learn submissions. And, like, and you, you know, I was That's like, hey, go for it. And she That's hasn't quit. Broke. You know, she's been going, you know, nonstop for the last couple of years. That's awesome. And I got to tell you, watching your kids compete – is insanely <laughs> yes. than you competing. Yeah. Like it's so like I, when I, even when I coach my students, like I get so nervous for them. Like when I fight, I don't get nervous at all. But by the time I fight, if it's on the same day, I'm exhausted <laughs> from all the emotional energy spent on screaming at my kids. I have no voice left, you know, and like just to see a roller coaster of it going that way. Yeah, you know? for sure. So how do you handle? But it's an awesome thing to watch. How do you handle coaching then for for competitions? Are you the coach that's uh, yelling your down points, or um, 
like how how do you coach your students, adult and children? Like what what is your mindset when you're when you're sitting on the sideline? I'm yelling at them, uh, and uh, hopefully, hopefully they're not down on points if they're doing their job correctly. And look, one thing I try to tell them that my professor told me, he's like, look, Matt, listen to me. And if it doesn't work, blame it on me. Simple, right? Wow. Like literally, if, if you do everything I told you to do and it doesn't work, it's my fault. But if you didn't listen and you just wing it and you lose, it's your fault. So it's easier to blame it on me. So I tell my students the same thing. I'm like, look, do what I said. If it doesn't work out, you get to blame it on me. The loss, I'll take the loss. I take the L. It's my fault. I'll own up to it. But if you don't listen and you lose, it's your fault. It's much easier to blame me. So please listen, you know? And so, uh, but no, I'm that guy that's covered in sweat, dressed, <laughs> screaming at them. I have no voice at the end of the day. And, you know, majority of them listen pretty well, you know? Or, and, and sometimes I'm hammering home the point, you know what I mean? Like, stay for the legs, stay for the legs. And I'll keep saying it. I'll I will literally not stop saying it until you do it. So please save my voice and just stay with the leg or do what I'm saying, you know? So So in contrast, how do you like to be coached during competition? Oh, that's a good question. So my coach screams at me just to say, uh, he's a Brazilian guy, you know? And, uh, man, he literally, it was one of the benefits that I used to joke with people about, like, Back in the day, the guy was kind of like a madman, you know? Like, he's been married now and, like, kind of calmed down. He has a little puppy, and he's kind of settled down a little bit, you know what I mean? More zen. But uh, he would be screaming on the sidelines. It, it was one good thing is because I was like, do you see that guy? He's my coach. Like, I'm scared of him. Like, so when I'm fighting this other guy, I'm like, I don't care about this guy. I'm not scared of you. I'm scared of him. See him? He's scaring me and you, screaming at both of us. I need to listen to you and do what I'm supposed to do. So it's actually a benefit, you know? I'm more scared of that guy who's my coach than I am of you screaming at me, so I'm going to do what he says, you know? So, but no, I like, but my professor's very methodical and like, uh, he, he can tell you like exact instruction on what to do. Or your left elbow here, Matt, or this, whatever it may be. And it's like pinpoint precision what I need. And I think a lot of coaches are the same way, but I also feel like a lot of the students that are competing, they get this thing where they're like, well, he just heard you, so I can't do it right now. You know? And that's it's like, exactly what John was talking about. Yeah, and I'm like, that's one of the most ridiculous things because when you're fighting, you have this vantage point. But when you're on the outside, not only do you have experience if you're a black belt, you've been there, done that yourself, you've seen it happen hundreds of times, but you usually have a 360-degree view or vantage point of the situation. So you're going to know what to do better. And if that student would have just listened to you when the time was right, it's going to work. But oftentimes they're hesitant. Well, he heard. Okay. Or you hear like, well, if you don't have a coach, just listen to the other guy's coach and do the exact opposite of what they're saying, you know? So I did find myself doing that. <laughs> Whatever their coach was yelling, I would immediately fix it. Yeah, yeah. They're like, watch the armbar. Like, oh, I can go for the armbar. Like, okay, that's good. One, one <laughs> thing I would hear over everything is the time left. When they'd be like, one minute, 30 seconds, 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah. That would come through yeah. hard. And it's another thing, too. When you're competing, especially when you first start, like there's like that fog of war almost where you're like, I didn't hear anything. I didn't hear, yeah. I didn't hear your voice once. And I'm like, dude, like my vocal cords are shot. You sure <laughs> you didn't hear anything? You didn't hear me. <laughs> Either you don't like me and you're not listening to me and you try to give me a heart attack or you literally could not hear me. You know? But it's like anything else. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. And then you're able to kind of listen a little more and relax a little more and things slow down, you know, because it becomes normalcy at that point. But when you first start, it's, everything's heightened, you know what I mean? You're in fight or flight and you have an adrenaline dump and you can't hear anything and you can't grip anything. One thing that I, I've noticed since we've been doing jujitsu, especially because we're, 
We're still junior belts. We're blue belts. I, I'm a two-stripe blue belt. I think you're a two-stripe, right? No. One stripe? I'm one for years. Yeah, one for years. I'll probably, I'm going to be blue belt for at least 10 years. That's the it's pinnacle fine. for him. I'm uh, fine. That's the pinnacle, which is great because this podcast is centered around beginners. So if John's always a beginner, we always have content. Look, you always I, I have tell him all the time. You always have a beginner in the mix. You need to keep yeah, that's right. <laughs> My victories are different. I'm like, look, I'm almost 44. Me, like, rolling with 20-year-olds, that's my victory. I'm good. You're like, I beat up the free trial guy. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, fine. Like, I'll sleep good tonight. 16 years old, but, you know, he had yeah. muscles on I got Jared. I, I beat Jared. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but when we when we first start, one thing that you always hear about is like, oh, you should compete. Oh, you should compete. Oh, you should compete. And to me, someone that competed in uh, athletics before CrossFit, and kind of, I kind of filled my, my, my cup with, with competing. So I don't... I don't really have a desire to compete yeah. in jujitsu, um, but I, I kind of want to do it just to experience it. Yeah. Why do you think we push newer practitioners so much to competing? Because I know not every school focuses like yeah. like I'm sure you don't focus on competing, right? But you definitely might put the bug out there, like, "Hey, you should think about competing." Why do you think we do that so much to especially newer practitioners? I think it gives them goals. I think just having a tournament written down on a calendar is going to make that student have a visual goal. They're going to like you can't hit a target you don't have. So, I feel like that's going to help their focus in their training. And hey, I have a tournament like you have a tournament in March, you said, right? That he signed you up for that you don't know about or whatnot. Anyway, uh, <laughs> having that goal, you're going to eat a little bit better. They're going to sleep a little mm-hmm. bit better. You're going to drink more water, you're going to stretch, you're going to work out, you're going to try to go to the gym because hey, I have something I got to do. But if you don't have that on the calendar, sometimes it's just kind of like eh, going through the motions or flowing, you know, and not really getting much better. So I think that's one thing, having that goal. But not only that, I think you learn a lot at competition. You learn a lot about yourself. And it's like, it's it's intimidating just to start jiu-jitsu in general. Like just the first day yes. of stepping on the 100%. 100% intimidating. But then you go to a tournament, it's even more intimidating. You know? And so <laughs> I think it grows you as a human being, you know, like, Hey, I just went against another human being that was resisting me that I didn't know, and he doesn't know my game. And I saw where really where I stack up and where I'm at and, and my level, you know. And so uh, I'm not big on making it like brand new people compete, you know. But for me, I, I'm never going to promote somebody to black belt if they haven't competed. I think they should at least have completed once or twice to get the experience. And whether they like it or not, there's some people that are like, man, I just get so anxious. It just ruins my life. I can't eat for months because I know I'm competing and just I get depressed and whatever. Okay, that's fine. It might not be for you. Are there ways to overcome that? Absolutely. Like your mind is malleable. You're able to, to change those and override those if you really wanted to and you did the work. But some people, it's just not for them. And that's okay. But I feel like everyone should at least experience it once or twice. And it's going to give you a good indicator if your jiu-jitsu works or not. You know? Because let's say you're out of school. Like some of these McDojas that you see that are like these guys, no-touch martial arts guys that just blast people. It's like if that's all you're seeing and you never ever have to be confronted with something else how do you really know what you're doing is worthwhile or working you know i want to come back to the mcdojo stuff because you mentioned a couple times but first we i want to kind of go into you mentioned goals and i feel like uh the reason a lot of blue belts quit coming from us being blue belts and we've been blue belts for a couple years now i feel like a lot of times when blue belts quit or white belts quit is because like you mentioned they it, they don't have a target they don't have a goal they go the, the the analogy i like to use i'm in school right now for my bachelor's in business and one one thing they always talk about is 
organizing a goal for the team to get to, right? And this goes into your personal life also. If you don't have a target to hit, if you don't have a roadmap to go somewhere, you're going to go on a road trip. And yeah, it's going to be fun to stop here and there and like like see sightsee here and there. But then you're going to get back on the road again and you're going to be like, well, where am I going? And you're going to start wondrously aiming or wonder... (laughs) Wandered. I can't even say wandering with no destination. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, I'll edit that out. (laughs) But you're just going to be going with no aimlessly. You're just going to be wandering, right? That's what I was trying to say. And then eventually, you're just going to go back home. You're just going to give up, right? And having that goal is probably the biggest thing in my eyes to why people will go through blue belt blues or they feel like they're going through a plateau. What other things do you think that can really help with blue belt boost? Because man, you, there was a there was probably about two weeks there. You were lighting up blue belts on your Instagram, and I was dying. My favorite one, just real quick, my favorite one was I I want all my blue belts to lower me in the grave. That way they can let me down one more time. That Ooh. had me that had me dying, bro. I was like I feel physically attacked right well, now. Look, but look, you guys, like... you guys are the exception. You haven't quit. You're still there. You're doing yeah. Good. Right? <laughs> Bro, look, I just told Travis, I, I went to the class or went to bring my daughter to class the other day. I've been out since the shoulder surgery. I don't even recognize the people in our class anymore. I'm like, who are these yeah. people? I'm like, where did everyone go? Yeah. I'm like, what is going on? Well, that's crazy because, I mean, the attrition rate in jiu-jitsu is so high, you know? And so that's one of the things I think about, too, is that uh, it, the blue belt for a lot of people, I feel like what they quit is that that was their mountaintop. That was the false summit, you know? Uh, but to tell you the truth, the black belt is a false summit. You know what I mean? Like in jiu-jitsu, there should be never a point where you're like, all right, I'm done. Like we talked about earlier, it's a book that's still being written. How, how can you say you've read it? Still being written. I just saw a move that my professor showed me that he saw on a video he was watching and no one's ever seen it before. And I was like, fuck, man. Like these kids are making up stuff that people haven't seen. Just in the years I've been doing jiu-jitsu, it's changed drastically and dramatically with different positions and different stuff. So there's an endlessness there. But for a lot of them, that's their mountaintop. It's like, oh, man, this was the hardest thing I've done. I had to work three years to get my blue belt, and now I'm done, you know? It's like, all right, well, hey. The thing is, though, what I really truly believe is if they're going to quit, they're going to quit no matter what. So it is what it is. But as an instructor, it does suck because, like, there's so many people that you you put a lot of effort. I I do, and I believe most coaches do. You put a lot of effort in, like, you know, time into somebody and and trying to make them better and trying to not only make them better in jiu-jitsu, but make them a good human being, too, and really just instill everything, all the knowledge, you know, especially for younger kids, you know what I mean? Like a guy that's 18, you know, like, all right, well, hey, I'm, you know, 36 and I've been 18. I I can emphasize with you and I also know what it's like after this and you can tell them little advice and stuff like that. The thing is like a lot of times you, you know, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So a lot of these guys get their blue belt and they're like, all right, well, hey, I'm done. Now I have other things in my life to do. And that was their mountaintop and that's the way that they celebrate. But to me, Jiu-jitsu is like a lifestyle, you know, like, I mean, the belt doesn't matter. Like, literally, the belt literally keeps your gi closed, and you have to do the rest, you know, and, and so if you're going to, if you started for the belt and you quit for the belt, I mean, you were going to quit anyways. You were going to quit at purple belt then. You were going to quit at brown belt, you know, and jiu-jitsu is a meat grinder. I mean, emotionally and physically and mentally, like, it'll beat your ass, you know, and uh, it's hard to keep coming, especially when you first start, like. And I feel like a lot of those guys, they get through those years and then they're like, all right, well, hey, I've, I survived all this and now I got my blue belt and I'm done and life takes over, you know? And, uh, but Hit the it's literally man. like 1% of people that, you know, start, maybe a little more now, 1% of people that start. And I try my best to switch things up um, to try to have less attrition rate, you know? But that's one thing people don't talk about either, like as an instructor, like, man, like you lose a student, like, and it's almost like, 
it's almost like a breakup sometimes, you know, like, especially, like I remember like the first couple students I lost, like I took it really personally and like, and it wasn't anything like uh, personal reasons why they quit, you know, it was just things that they were quitting on their own and, but I'd put in so much time and effort and here I'm thinking like this person's going to be my first black belt someday, you know, and then it's just like that first love, you know, when they break your heart, you're like, there's nobody else, you know what I mean? Like, this thing. And, so, and then after that, your heart gets a little more callous and you become a little more realist, you know, and, and it becomes easier and easier. But it still still sucks seeing your guys quit, especially guys that have like a lot of talent, you know, or they could have done something, you know, or like maybe they could have used jujitsu uh, just to benefit their life. Like, hey, maybe jujitsu was their outlet to stay off drugs or maybe there was was their outlet yes. to stay out of the game or maybe their jujitsu was to stay sane. Like, there's so many benefits that, like, take the whole competition thing out of it. Just jiu-jitsu in itself. There's so many byproducts and benefits of it, especially for men. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like therapy almost, you know? Uh, oh, 100% agree I, with that. Yeah, absolutely. I like to think of it as, like, as human beings, we're either in the past, we're thinking about what we should have done, or we're in the future thinking about what we need to do. And it's very, uh, it's, it's, far, it's far from often that we are in the present moment. And jiu-jitsu, every time you have a round and you're grappling, it forces you to be in that present moment. You can't think about the job you just lost or the wife or girlfriend that you just lost or that your son's in the hospital or that you, you don't have any money in the bank when someone's trying to choke you. Literally, you have to face what's in front of you right there. And so because of that, that five-minute round gives guys a reprieve from all the other things and the issues in their life. And they're able to maybe compartmentalize that. And they get the good feel-good endorphins from that. And it makes life easier to deal with after that. They got a break from it. Like that, in that five-minute session, someone's trying to attack you. You can't focus on your problems. It literally forces you to be in the present moment, which takes you out of that anxiety or that uh, anxiousness of thinking about past or future. And so I think a lot of those guys get the benefits from it. And But then they go on with life, you know. And I've seen it happen a lot of times, too, on a lighter note where, you know, you get a guy that comes in, starts training. Maybe he was out of shape, didn't have very good social skills. And then, like, within a couple months, like, his shoulders are back. He's got a little more posture. Little swagger. Little swagger <laughs> to his step, right? Yeah. Now he's got, like, a six-pack. And, all right, then he attracts a girl because he's in a good fit shape and he's in a good place in his life. He, then the girl does the deadliest arm drag, takes him away. You know, women take a lot of men away from jiu-jitsu. I'm just saying men also take women away from jiu-jitsu as well. But women take a lot of men from jiu-jitsu. And then they end up getting fat. They end up being depressed. They end up getting out of shape. They lose that swagger. Shoulders come down. They kind of accept their plot in life. Then the girl leaves them because they don't want to be with a loser. Then the guy comes back. He's out of shape. He has to start the process all over again. I'm like, vicious cycle, bro. Vicious and I cycle. Him, like, Just be in a relationship <laughs> with jujitsu. It will break your heart sometimes, and it will break your body, but it will never leave you. It's always there for you, no matter what. So I try to tell him that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sorry, I get sidetracked too. I have ADHD, so it's like all over the place. No, bro, I'm I'm right there with you, man. I I have ADHD too, and my wife makes fun of me for it. And I'm so glad I like I'm decent at jujitsu because it like you you can attest to this when you do have ADHD. Like when something grabs your attention, you're like, hold on a second, I gotta I gotta I gotta like beeline to this. Yeah. Like there's there's no. <laughs> well, I honestly so. I honestly think it's a superpower having the ADHD though. It's like I've heard the analogy of like having a bunch of different browsers open at once, and that's kind of how my mind is. Yes, but. Because of that, I think I can see a lot more opportunities during the scramble of jiu-jitsu where some people that are more focused don't see that stuff because they're kind of tunnel vision and they have those blinders on where my mind's like doing 50 things at once. So when we're rolling upside down, like, oh, hey, come on, or toe hold, or foot lock, loop choke, you know what I mean? Because there's all this stuff, I just pick and grab it, you know? So I think there's a benefit to it, I hope. 
I think I think it's pretty good too, especially for interviewing people because I give you my undivided attention. I don't want I don't want you to think that I don't, but my mind is just my mind, right? So like yeah. in my head, I'm like, bing, 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 like like what can I think next? What like where where can this go next? Right? Like yeah. so it's I I've been uh I was interviewed for my buddy and he he told me I have the gift to gab. And yeah. I was like, well, I don't think I have the gift of gab. I just think that's my disorder. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you made it into a benefit. You made it into yeah, a right? Yeah. But you mentioned we. I, I wanted to go back to the McDojo thing because I think especially now with social media and how easily someone can go viral and be in, in front of so many eyes as – as expertise and we all know the person right now that is all over social media talking about how to yeah yeah like talking about how to take a gun from someone or whatnot right how as a brand new practitioner someone that is wants to get into it for legitimate reasons they want the self-defense they want to better themselves how do they know if they are walking into a mcdojo or not well, I think 10 years ago it would have been more of a problem, but now with the invention of the internet and social media, you have so much things that you can actually research and review. Like uh, what I tell people that are going to start jujitsu is like, look, there's a couple pla- couple things you need to think about. One, you need to find a legit school. Two, you need to look at the proximity and the price. Uh, if it's not close by, you're probably not going to go when it's raining or when you're tired or when you're not feeling that good. Uh, if it is close by, okay, great. And then you want to make sure that it's legit and they can afford the price and the schedule works for you. Those are all criteria that you need to work. But I also tell them, try a couple different gyms. Don't ever sign up for the first one you try. Take a couple free trials at each gym and then figure out which one. Hey, I really mesh well with this instructor. The schedule works for me. It's close by. Okay, I like it. And then you decide from there. So that way you're able to kind of see because, all right, you have five gyms, maybe one's a McDojo, but if you visited all five, you're like, well, this doesn't seem right because now I have something to compare it to, right? Because uh, I had the other four gyms that I went to. But not only that, like you have Google, you can read reviews, you can see stuff. Yeah, people can delete comments and delete reviews and stuff like that. But for the most part, you can see, all right, this place looks pretty legit, you know? Uh, if you're getting fooled in this day and age, then, I mean, it's on kind of on you at that point for not doing that, you know? <laughs> Like, if you're going to go buy a brand new car, you should do a little bit of research on that car and the, or that yes. brand or that company at least. You know what I mean? Like, what are, I mean, Amazon has reviews. You're going to buy a pair, a t-shirt on Amazon or a hat. Like, there's reviews. It doesn't fit the right size or it's bigger than it should be. Like, all right, well, then I go from there. And you can kind of make your purchase accordingly. So I think if you're getting caught at one of those places at this day and age, it's your fault. Um, but I also feel like those people that are selling that snake oil is very dangerous. You know, like, it's one thing to do it as satire, but another thing entirely where... I saw a couple years ago, and it infuriated me. I saw um, it was in one of the women's magazines, and there was this highly touted self defense expert female that was showing shit that would literally get women killed, and it would do nothing to the attacker. And she has no credibility or any sort of uh, background. It just says self defense expert. And this magazine was viewed by like a couple hundred thousand women. And I'm like, this person pisses me off so much because. They're doing such a disservice. They're selling something that's not going to work and they're potentially having hazards and, and, and really bad effects on people that maybe adopt this philosophy. And, and because of that, I'm like literally called all the women in my life. I'm like, I want to do a self-defense seminar for you guys for free because I can't have this bullshit out there like that. And unfortunately, there is. There's the guy, Commander Dale, that's showing bullshit like that. It's going to get people killed, you know, and uh, it's, you know, but it's one of those things where what can you do that? There's always going to be people like that, you know, and um, I guess how you get around it is just by putting out a good product yourself, you know, and 
and, and trusting what you're doing. You know, there's, there's a lot of people like that in jiu-jitsu. There's schools that are like, oh, hey, we, they're belt factories, you know. And maybe they're on a McDojo in the sense, but they have black belts that have been promoted to black belt that shouldn't be a black belt, you know. And, like, I have some white belts from my gym go over there and, like, you know, destroy their guys. And it's like, all right. And if you're that guy at that gym and you see that happen, like, it's got to be an eye-opener for you. Like, I remember one time here in Arizona, there was a guy that came to train with us, and he had been a black belt for, like, 15 years at this point. Uh, and he got tapped out by, like, three 16-year-old white belts in a row. And these aren't kids that came to the color belts. I'm not talking about kids that are four, like, four or five-year-olds going right. through all the kid color belts. And then, like, these are guys that have been training a year. And he's got demolished. I remember him throwing his belt away in the locker room and sobbing. And I thought, man, how sad. Like, he was like, my jiu-jitsu is a yes. lie. He's like, this last 15 years of my life has been a lie. Because I'm, I'm getting beat up by this guy that's been training a couple months, and this is a 15 or 16 year old kid, and I'm a grown ass man. And so, like, people don't think about that. Like, there's no lemon law when it comes to that. You know, someone sells you a car, but like, man, someone sells you something for 15 years. Like, they're literally taking advantage of you. It's one thing if they're not paying, if you're not paying them, but you're paying them for a service, and they're giving you the exact opposite of that, and telling you this is how it's real, and this, and then that has the potential to get your, you know, get get beat up or get killed or, or raped, whatever. It's just terrible that that's going on you know and i feel like as martial arts that stuff should be like shot down right away you know and i feel like for the large part back in the day it was you know and unfortunately you see that a lot with karate and i feel like jiu-jitsu places are starting to adopt that karate uh business model to keep people and to keep the doors open and to make money you know what i mean to me i'd rather lose every student i have than do some bullshit like that you know than promote people for no reason just to keep them you know it doesn't make sense i gotta at the end of the day i owe jiu-jitsu I actually did a post a long time ago. It was like, I pledge allegiance to jiu-jitsu, you know? And it was basically talking about, like, how as an instructor, like, man, it is my job. The jiu-jitsu is one of the things that when you say, like, hey, I'm a jiu-jitsu black belt, it means something. When you say you're a karate black belt, it literally means nothing. Your six-year-old nephew at Thanksgiving is a, a karate black belt. I remember going to, to Vegas for a tournament one time. We stopped at a place to eat. There was a karate studio. I'm going to go check this out and just see how the other half lives. And I'm looking inside, and I see these bands. And not only that, I see 40 different black belts on the mat. I mean, I've never seen 40 black belts on the mat in my life, and except at a tournament, you know what I mean? But not in one gym. And they're aging from ranges like 6 to 13, you know what I mean? And they have kids teaching the classes. And I see these banners, and these banners are big, and it says world championship uh, or world champions in form. And I'm like, there's a fucking world championships in form. Literally, all you're doing is a dance, and you're getting a world championship for this. I Kata, to yes, and I'm like, man. And these kids leave there thinking they know how to do something. The parents have spent money on this. It's not going to work. They're going to get their ass kicked. You know what I mean? And it's like the same with Taekwondo and the same with a lot of these other martial arts that don't work. It's like, how do these people sleep at night, you know? Uh, it's infuriating, you know? But unfortunately, there's just shitty people out there, you know? And until people really start to wake up and see that. You know, it's unfortunate. I was going to mention that earlier, but I didn't when we were talking about points. Uh, I don't know if you know who yeah. Jesse Enkamp is. He's like a karate yeah. nerd, but he talks about how karate used to be like um, jiu-jitsu. Absolutely. It was very physical. Yeah. They had submissions. Uh, and but, they beat the shit out of each other. Yep. And yep. then yep. they moved to a point-style system. And once yes. they did that, it watered down to karate to what we have now. And I yeah. feel like that's almost the way jiu-jitsu is going. 100%. I agree 100%. Yep. There was actually something in the Olympics where like, one of the guys in Taekwondo knocked out his opponent. Yeah, and he, and he fucking lost. lost. He Isn't yeah. that crazy? It's the right thing you see. 
this is this is ridiculous. Like he just showed how effective it could, could be, but he can't do it because it's yes. he knocked it out. Unbelievable. Yeah, they said it was too rough, like too too aggressive yeah. of a kick. I'm like, are you joking? That is like the dumbest freaking thing. Like, how are you yeah. going to get knocked out and be like, got your ass? Yeah. And see, that's what I'm saying. So, like, as an instructor, and I feel like most instructors should have that where they want to protect the sanctity of jujitsu. It should matter. I don't want it to be 10 years from now where everybody has a black belt. You know what I mean? Because uh, then it's just watering down the standards. It's supposed to be hard for a reason. That attrition rate is there for a reason. You know what I mean? Because it's tough. And if it's not tough, then it doesn't mean as much. You know what I mean? And so, so what? Like, okay. And I feel like as Americans, like we said, we want everything quick and we want to pat ourselves on the back and, oh yeah, look, I'm a black belt. Look, you can buy a black belt on Amazon. Like you can get it tomorrow if you want. You know what I mean? 15 bucks. But the ability to wear that and actually have the technique are much different than just putting the belt on. You I know? totally agree. And it's just a sad thing that places are like that, you know? And, uh, but the good thing is, too, though, we have a lot of good guys, and I feel like the elevation of jiu-jitsu in, in terms of skill is, is progressing. But then you get guys that are in there for the wrong reasons to try to make money, you know, and they water the martial art down. Well, it's pretty easy to have one role and figure out who's legit and who's not. Yeah, and that's the beautiful thing. It's <laughs> yeah, one of those things so where, it's like, if you're a liar, like, hey, you're going to get exposed pretty if you actually grapple. But then you have these guys that are like, oh, I don't rule because of this or this or that <laughs> you're like okay that's kind of suspect the fact that you have never rolled with your students you know um i mean i've had people contact me with that like hey my instructor never rolls and i'm like well okay benefit the doubt always devil's advocate here like okay maybe he's hurt maybe he's had knee surgeries and all of that some instructors are older and to be honest white belts are the most dangerous people there are on the planet you know what i mean they do dumb shit they do white belt shit white belt's gonna do white belt shit no matter what and so they knee you in the face or they elbow you or they reap your knee on accident like i've been hurt by white belts way more than i've been hurt by any other belt on the map and so i get there's a danger factor there but if you've never seen your instructor roll he's never trained and he has no like videos of him rolling or training or anything like that then you gotta start to question legitimacy there what is your one piece of advice you'd give to brand new white belts? And I would even at this point say maybe blue belts that are on the fence if they're going to quit their journey or not. To quit their journey or not. Um, I would say don't quit. Uh, it's one of those things. It's just that easy. No, uh, but Chris Howder, one of the first American black belts, black belts had a good quote on this and uh, paraphrasing here, but he said something like, um, Oh, okay, now I'm drawing a blank. I'm sorry. That's all right. We got time. We're about the quote unquote that escaped me. Um, but it was basically on the lines of like, uh, it's not who's best, it's who's left. And basically, that just means don't quit. Like, I've seen so many talented people throughout the years. And the longer you guys are in the game, you're going to see the same thing. Like, I've trained with thousands of people. And out of those thousands, I remember like, even from when I first started, I think there's like five people uh, out of thousands of people that I've seen that are still training, uh, with us, you know, with, uh, with my instructor. And so it's like people come and go like that. But if you just resolve yourself, like it doesn't matter who's better. It's just who's left. You'll get a black, but as long as you don't quit, you'll start to master jujitsu as long as you don't quit, you know? But I feel like, again, instant gratification, you want to get it quickly, you know? And, uh, I feel like just stick it out. Um, that, had I would have quit after that sixth, I would have never had that seventh match and wouldn't be talking to you today. And not only that, you just like life. You, you can't quit at life. So when life gets hard, you don't get to quit. I mean, I mean, I guess you can, but it's kind of a shitty thing to check out that way uh, and leave everybody else. But jujitsu is one of those things where 
if you don't quit, you become a little mentally strong because of that. And you get a little more resolved and a little more determined and you're able to take stuff a little bit better. And it's just such a great way like of not quitting. You don't quit on the mats. You're not going to quit in life. You know, it teaches you that, you know, stick to itness of staying with something and sticking with something, you know? So my advice for white belts, don't quit and blue belts, you know, 90% of you are going to quit anyway. So <laughs> that's off. At least I found two that haven't quit. That's solid. You've already put so much time in. Don't yeah. quit. I think the, I honestly think the only reason we haven't quit yet is because of the podcast and we don't want to be, you know, like those well, guys that had a, we don't even trade. No, we quit. I was like, I was like, we have a pretty successful juice podcast. Oh, what color? Oh, I quit a long time ago, bro. I just fucking like talking to people. I, I don't trade. I talk about it. No, uh, no I, but I try to tell my white belts, I'm like, look, don't quit, all right? Please do it the right way and let me down at Blue Belt. And they quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's too early. You're quitting too early in the game. You know, Let me get emotionally invested. Then you quit and devastate. That's how it should be. Yeah, all, all I don't know is the turn is, is so much now. I I don't even bother learning names anymore unless yeah. I see them there for a couple months. I'm not even trying to learn their name. I'm over it. Like so at my school, it is now. at my school, being an instructor, I learn everybody's name, obviously. But at my professor's gym, when there's new people that come, I mean, I've seen them come and go all the time. I try not to learn a name until it's like a, a year <laughs> in. You know what I mean? Yes. It's buddy and pal, buddy and pal. And then I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm right, right there with your you. Name now you've got a blue belt now with one stripe. You've been around for four years. What's your name? I'm not gonna call you buddy. Yes. You know what I mean? But no, it's true because that guy might not be here in six months, you know? And so. Yeah. I almost feel rude. I'm like, whatever. I'm just going to wait and see if I see you around for a while. Well, you got to save your words. You only have so many words in life. <laughs> you know, I can't use them on somebody who's going to quit in a week, you know? Got to yep. see if it sticks around and make it worth it. It's so true, though, man. It's so true. I, I When we first started, I think, honestly, there's only... Uh, well, we have we have a really weird story that we it's it's a little late to get into it now, but it, from the people that first started, there's maybe only five of us left yeah. that were at the gym when it first started years ago, years yeah. ago, right? And it's crazy to think we're coming up on five years now, man. That's like I can't believe it's five. It's crazy. I need to throw my belt right? in the trash. You know, I really just want to get purple. Uh, I just really want to get purple belt, so I stop doing the warm ups. Like that's really <laughs> oh, the only. Yeah, thing. that'd be nice. <laughs> Isn't there an age limit on warm-ups? Can we stop warm-ups if you're 40 and older? I'd be down for that. Well, how I do my stuff at my warm-ups, too, is I, I have my guys drill the warm-up. I'm like, look, if you guys want to get in shape, go join the fitness gym and run on the track. Yes. I am yes. about to move to, to freaking Arizona. You pay me for jiu-jitsu, so we're going to warm up with jiu-jitsu. That's what I'm screaming. Yeah, yeah But hey, everybody has their own way of doing something. I'm not trying to knock anybody else on that. No. Look, I, I don't want to plug our YouTube videos to you, but if you have an opportunity... One of our videos right now is jujitsu warmups are stupid, <laughs> and it's blowing up right now. I agree, and it's 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 so funny that I thought it was going to be kind of a fifty fifty thing of like people are like, oh yeah, you definitely need to warm up and you know do some push ups, <laughs> like the body moving, do it's your bear crawls. It's fucking Like people are like, I fucking hate warm up. <laughs> like they're so like adamant about warm ups yeah. and how stupid they are. And like so now we we start class and uh God bless start Cody he, if he listens to this I'm sorry I love you man but he'll he'll be like all right guys let's warm up I'm like you don't watch my YouTube videos <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't got the hit you've been trying we we'll have to do two more He's videos like, on just the warm up maybe <laughs> he'll catch on. Bro, I'll join the gym if I want to do all these push ups and jumping jacks. I mean, so, so there could be some good there like hey if the warm up gets the guy's body warm all right maybe less likely to be injured but. 
You can warm up your body doing arm bars and kimuras and omoplatas and something from the uh, close guard that's actually pertinent to jiu-jitsu. You know what I mean? Or warm, yeah. up by and your, that's, warm up by your damn self 10 minutes before class starts. And, that, and that's what the in your car, and then you're good to go by the time you get to the gym. Nice and toasty. And that's the... And it's from one of our podcasts, it's a podcast clip, and it's Maliki Friedman from uh, um, Old Low Country or something yeah. like that. He's an American top Low team. Country. He's an American top team black belt. And uh, he talks about, like, he does a warm-up. Like, and that's what I don't understand is, like, people are like, well, if you don't warm up, you're going to get hurt. He's like, no. What he's talking about and what most black belts and class leaders are talking about is, like, I don't, I'm not going to run around in circles. We're not yeah. going to do push-ups. Like, if we're going to warm up, it's going to be drilling arm bars from the back or from mount or, you know what I mean, like passing the guard yeah. or something like that. Something that has ap- has application in, into the class. I don't think people – I think when people think of warm-up, they think of, like, all right, we're gonna go ahead and start class now. Let's get straight into technique. It's like no, there's like there's there's other ways to warm up besides yeah. doing push ups like insane people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I agree. But hey, Matt, I want to thank you so much. I, I I think we pretty much covered everything. John, you got I any other so. questions? Oh no, man, you were great. Yeah, thank thanks so much. I I knew it was gonna be a, a good one from the start of the the episode. I was like, oh man, this is gonna be great. Wait, I gotta ask him real quick. Oh, How shit. close is your gym to Scottsdale? Uh, we're about depending on what part of Scottsdale, but probably like 30, 40 minutes at most. All right, I'll see you next time I'm down there. Absolutely, man. Hit me up. Brush yeah, that uh, we, dust we, off the belt. That's where me and Katie go vacation. Are we gonna Are we gonna do this together? I don't know about you. I, I mean, I pay for this resort. <laughs> you know, the, the, the ultimate goal of this podcast is we want to travel two people to interview yeah. them and drop in at their school and like you know do like a whole video of like like hey we're interviewing them and then we're rolling with them and or rolling with them and then interviewing them kind of get that camaraderie yeah. kind of thing yeah. that's the Inter- ultimate why goal you're yeah or right, right? so just when did you breath? get into jujitsu <laughs> the mic is crushed but but covid covid made that kind of kind of hard too mm-hmm. so and well, also having day jobs in our state we don't know what covid is we're okay <laughs> I've already had it three times, baby. I already got it all. <laughs> I need to get the shirt. I survived all the variants. Oh, my God. So. Hey, but, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. If people want to follow you and see your great stabs at Blue Belts, where, where, where can they follow you at? So if you hate point fighters and you have teammates that quit that are Blue Belts, or, you have, or you're a white belt that's wanting to quit, I encourage you not to. Follow my page until Blue Belt and then quit. Uh, is uh, <laughs> at MattZillaBJJ at Instagram. Uh, and you can Madzilla Gillette at Facebook. And the reason behind Madzilla is uh, people are like, oh, why did you have that name? And it was just so nobody from high school would find me. Uh, <laughs> I so like it. Stuff. And then it became something, and then people started calling me Madzilla, and I'm like, all right, well, fuck it, it works. And then we'll go from there. Uh, but yeah, uh, Madzilla BJJ uh, Instagram, and you're welcome to follow me. And if you have some good stuff, I'll follow you back. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much once again. Uh, and guys, remember, give us a five-star review, all that stuff. Follow our YouTube and everything. I'm pretty sure we're going to say that in the intro, too. But you John, you got anything else? I don't, man. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for watching thank- at home, listening at home. And uh, remember, no oil checks here. That's Oops. it. You guys have a That's- great weekend. Thank you. <laughs> you all too, right. buddy. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks. Bye.